You're listening to Grace Seal Beach Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, go to gracesealbeach.org. Good morning. Glad you're here. My name is Chris, one of the pastors, and uh, grateful to be able to open God's Word together. My grandpa uh, had this saying that he liked to to say to us grandkids. He said, you know how I spell love? T-I-M-E. Time. And I always thought that was funny because the the way that I spell love is N-E-W-B-I-K-E. New bike. Right? And the way that my wife spells love is road trip. Right? And the thing about all those, when I really think about it, is that each one of those involves time, right? For my grandfather, he, he really wanted more time with us grandkids, and uh, so time was at the center of that. For me, a new bicycle would mean that I've gotten permission for the people who gave it to me to go out and ride the thing. And then for Emily, it would be the time spent together exploring a new city or a new state, right? Thanks for your time. Is a, is a way that we often end a meeting or a phone call. We ask our loved ones when we're in need of um, some you know, time. We want some quality time together. Time is a, a, a primary way that we humans love one another because time is our most finite resource. Time, it's a gift, right? And God is well aware of that. He's graciously given us a number of days for us to live here on earth. That's what Job 14 says. He's also patiently given us time to consider his good news of Jesus Christ. That's what 2 Peter 3 says. But he's also given us the gift of time in how our week is structured. Work followed by rest. You don't have to know anything about the Bible to understand that concept, right? It's written into creation itself. My grandfather was a farmer, and he knew that, that his, his, his land or his soil needed time to rest or fallow for the nutrients to re-engage and for the land to produce more and more, right? Athletes know this concept of work followed by rest, because it's not the training that ultimately makes them stronger, it's the rest, right? The rest day is when the muscles rebuild and grow and get stronger. Your own body will say, you need rest this evening when it's time to sleep. Why? Because you are not a robot. You're not a robot, you're a human, right? Work followed by rest is modeled um, into creation itself. God modeled it at the beginning in Genesis. You'll you'll likely remember that from the beginning of uh, the Genesis creation account that God worked for six days creating the heavens and the earth, but then Genesis 2, 2 and 3 says that he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. And then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God himself worked, then rested. And what I find really fascinating about what happens here in the Genesis account is that the first thing that God deems holy isn't 
the moon stars in the sky or the Garden of Eden or Adam and Eve or an animal or a plant or something. He says all those things are good and in the case of image bearers, it's very good. But the first thing that God deems holy is a day. And it's not a work day, it's a rest day. The first thing that God deems holy is time, right? God knew well that he created human beings who are not robots. And he set a helpful boundary for his people after redeeming them from slavery, post-Egypt, if you remember. So he, he gives them the Ten Commandments, and commandment number four um, says that we are to, that his people are to remember the Sabbath day, Sabbath meaning stop or cease, like stop working. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor to do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a rest day. So every seventh day, they're to rest. And the commandment goes on to say that the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. A blessing was always the intention when God instituted the Sabbath. And any time that God blesses something, it implies that our lives will be blessed if we follow his commands. The Sabbath has always been to keep people healthy and helpful and happy and holy. That's what Isaiah 58 says. A day to rest, delight in God himself, and anticipate the ultimate rest God's people will have with him in eternity. Every Christmas for uh, Christmas dinner, my parents make a, like a beef roast, like a prime rib or something, which is really common. And I love to stand right next to my dad when he's carving it up because it means that he'll give me a little taste, right? When I stand next to him. And it's a, it's a little taste for what's going to come in the meal. And that's the same thing that the Sabbath does for us. It's, a, it's supposed to be a taste of what eternity will be like with God eternally resting with him. I've been thinking a lot about the Sabbath uh, recently in my own practice in life and just for this, in preparing for this sermon. And, and the voice of a monologue of the first Lord of the Rings that came out in 2001 came to mind because um, the, one of the characters has this monologue at the beginning that says, the world has changed, much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. And that's true of our cultural attitude toward Sabbath, that one, much that once was is lost. And our culture is restless and unwilling to rest. There was this Cadillac commercial that aired about eight years ago that showed a, a rich gentleman um, there in his mansion and uh, an American guy. And he, uh, he says something like, why do we Americans work so hard? You know, other countries, they stroll home, they stop by the cafe, they take all of August off. Why aren't we like that? Because we're crazy-driven, hard-working believers. That's why. It's pretty simple. You work hard, you create your own luck, and, all, and, and you've got to believe anything is possible. Well, as for all the stuff, and he points around to his mansion and all of his stuff, and he gets into his Cadillac, 
That's the upside of only taking two weeks off in August, right? News, had, news organizations got hold of this commercial, and one of the news headlines said, Cadillac made a commercial about the American dream, and it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a nightmare. My Nana, who drove a Cadillac, I'm not like anti-Cadillac, by the way. I love me a Cadillac. My mom has a Cadillac. Cadillac's great. But my Nana used to say, there's no rest for the wicked, and the righteous don't need it. They don't need it. The Cadillac commercial was saying, hey, live the American dream. Work, accumulate, hustle, don't slow down, or you're going to be left behind. I should make a disclaimer at this point in the sermon. This sermon is not anti-work, okay? Or suggesting that we shouldn't work hard. God himself worked hard for six days and rested for one. So we work hard for the glory of God. We even have a class that Greg Bartleson's teaching about it. But the mantra of our age is, I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? And meanwhile, our bodies our minds and our souls are withering away. Last year on my 40th birthday, I got COVID as a, as a, as a birthday present, which was an interesting day. And um, <clears throat> I, probably from some one of you during, during <laughs> Christmas, by the way. So um, hazards of the job. So... Um, I, and people asked me, they, they were like, well, how was that for you? How, how did you do with, with COVID? You know, what was your experience? And, and it was shocking to me how many people in our church and in my life said that getting COVID sounded, quote, pretty good because at least they could get some rest, right? Like, I would rather take my chances with getting a virus that has killed millions of people so that I could finally get some rest, right? We are an exhausted and restless people. So what we're going to do is turn to a passage of text together where Jesus recasts the vision for our lives and what rest might look like, what a Sabbath might look like. So why don't you turn in your Bibles to Mark 2, verse 23. Mark 2, verse 23. <laughs> All right. Verse 23 says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? I'll stop there. Jesus and his disciples at this point are living out the heart of the Sabbath. They presumably worked for six days prior and now they're stopping to rest, to Sabbath. And for them, what that looked like was taking a walk through a ripe grain field. This was probably late spring, early summer because the heads of grain were ripe. Matthew's gospel account of this particular story says that the disciples were hungry 
Um, it, here in Mark says that they began to pick heads of grain. And then in Luke's gospel account, it says that they were rubbing them in their hands so that they could eat them and nourish themselves. This was an activity, by the way, that was completely lawful uh, as stated in the law in Deuteronomy 23.25. But the Pharisees, who were kind of a, a self-appointed theological police at the time, had constructed... 39 extra biblical guardrail regulations, fence regulations, if you will, that specified what activities could not be done on the Sabbath so that we would not work. Working, not allowed. Here are the regulations. And that included reaping grain, which is what the Pharisees were accusing the disciples of doing. And Jesus responds to them with sort of what I think of as a, as a theological uppercut. They didn't see it coming. It really put the hurt on the recipients. So look at verse 25. And Jesus said to them, have you never read? Which seems to be a little bit of a, an academic slap in the face, a little sarcasm from Jesus. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of the Lord in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about it a lot, actually. But for today's purposes, what I'll tell you is that here's what we need to know. Jesus is reminding the Pharisees of a time when David was anointed but not yet enthroned. A time when David was on the run. A time when David was gathering support and waiting for his kingly rule to come to fruition. And then Jesus gives one of his most important teachings on the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And in one fell swoop, Jesus puts himself on par with David as the anointed one who is not yet enthroned. Like David, the one on the run from his enemies. Like David, the one gathering support and waiting for his kingly rule to come to fruition. But in Jesus' case, the kingdom was already breaking through. The king was already present and had come, and he's the one who had the authority to interpret the law. Why? Because he was the one who gave the law all the way back in Exodus 20. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There's three statements there that I'd like us to reflect on for the remainder of our time together. They're all in your sermon outline. The first is man or mankind was not made for the Sabbath. Secondly, Sabbath was made for mankind. And thirdly, the Son of Man or Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's take the first one. Mankind was not made for the Sabbath. I wrote to you in, in uh, the email that went out Friday that uh, about 15 years ago, I became absolutely obsessed with coffee culture uh, then, 
right? Every time there was a new third wave coffee shop that opened in the Bay Area, Emily and I would pile in the car, we'd go and visit it. Um, we loved going to check it out. My, my desire to make better coffee at home kind of grew and grew. So I bought this beautiful espresso machine and learned how to make coffee. And I, would, I destroyed Emily's childhood popcorn maker in the backyard by roasting coffee in it. And I'd, I'd wake her up every morning with a cappuccino that had latte art. And I mean, I learned how to do the whole thing. We were doing college ministry at the time, so our home turned into the like, like this makeshift little cafe, and I would spend most of the time that wasn't Bible study just behind an espresso machine slanging drinks for everybody in the college group, right? It was just a great time of life. And then there was this one transition kind of period where that blessing of making all this coffee and espresso drinks at home started to fall into the burden category for us, right? There was an associated cost that came with all this coffee that we were buying and milk on hand and flavors and all that stuff. I, I would have to clean it all the time because we were doing so much volume at my house. We added kids to the mix. And finally, it was just like, I, I must have exclaimed at one point, I bought this espresso machine to serve me. I don't exist to serve it, right? And that's the heart behind Jesus' restorative words about the Sabbath. The intent of the Sabbath was rest and restoration rooted in creation and redemption. People don't exist to serve the Sabbath. It's not just another thing to add to your religious checklist, right? The Sabbath is a gift to help the people of God rest. But the Pharisees twisted it into a burden, that put people on edge. They lost the joy of the Sabbath. Some of you, when we talk about Sabbath, think back to your childhood or culture that you grew up in where the Sabbath was all about the things that you couldn't do. Like we think about American blue laws, like you can't buy this or that on a Sunday, you can't do that, you can't, um, let's see, like eat ice cream or play games or go out in the backyard and play, you just can't do it. Robert Harrell uh, told me before, uh, after last service that this one experience that he had that, that he and his friends couldn't play with a ball, no one had a ball, so they went to a store to buy a ball, well, they wouldn't sell him a ball because it was the Sabbath, right? Focusing on what we can't do rather than rest and restoration. And this is what moralism does. It reduces the joy of knowing God to a heartless set of rules, burdens, and regulations, rendering us judgmental, joyless, and hard-hearted. To bring that closer to home, it feels like the world knows us as Christians for our reputations of what we're against rather than what we're about, right? And this is precisely what's going on in the Pharisees in Mark 3, 1 through 6. Look at Mark 3 now. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And he watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that it might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, 
to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And what did the Pharisees do? They went out and they immediately held counsel with the Herodians, which were a political group at the time, making an unholy alliance with them on how to kill or destroy Jesus for it. Friends, religion or moralism is only concerned with obeying the details of the law to become right with God. Tell me what to do, then I'll do it. It's self-absorbed. It leads us away from love. It leads us straight into the arms of hate as we see what happened with the Pharisees here. But the way of Jesus, the gospel, sees God's heart behind the law, not throwing the law away or dismissing it, but living your life for the glory of God and the flourishing of other people. This is what Jesus did. We read about Jesus nourishing his disciples in the first passage that we wrote, or read, and, and then we read about Jesus healing this man on the Sabbath. And I want to argue today that Jesus has been nourishing and healing his disciples on the Sabbath for 2,000 years, right? I think this statement, mankind was, was not made for the Sabbath, I mean, it's certainly relevant to us, but it was super relevant to them, those Pharisees at the time. I think where we need the most work is the next uh, statement. Sabbath was made for mankind. Some of us are absolutely shattered because we're so exhausted. And I'm here to tell you that God created you a human being, not a human doing. You are not a robot. You were never loved for what you do, but for who God created you to be. And God loves you so much in your body, in your mind, and in your soul that he says, I want you to rest. I want, you to, I want to nourish and to heal you. Stretch, friend, stretch out your hand so I can heal you. I want you to stop and rest and Sabbath every week so that you can be still and know that I am God to be still and know that I am, to be still and know, to be still for you to just be, right? I've come to the conviction personally that, that Jesus' interpretation of the Sabbath in this text doesn't mean that he wants us to skip it. He, it doesn't mean that he wants us to just punt, say, well, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But instead, restore Sabbath to its original intention in our lives. So the follow-up question is, okay, how, how would I, if, if that's Jesus' intention for us, how would I then 
Start and keep a biblical Sabbath. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I've included a little ebook uh, via the QR code, since we're all about QR codes today, um, in your outline by Pete Scazzaro about starting and keeping a biblical Sabbath. It's about a 10 or 15 minute read, uh, and it includes a, uh, a frequently asked question about a lot of the questions that are going to arise for you. I- instead of everyone just pulling out their phone right now, <laughs> it's okay if you did, but, but I'd like to take you through, through the, the four um, practices of distinguishing, this is in Scazzaro's book, distinguishing the difference between a day off and a biblical Sabbath, because he makes a distinction there, okay? And he has four practices, which are stop, rest, delight, and contemplate, all right? Stop, rest, delight, contemplate. Sabbath, first and foremost, is about stopping. It's about stopping. The phrase that I've often used um, personally is, I've got no more eggs to sell. And what that brings the vision that that brings to mind for me is an egg farmer. He's got a truck full of eggs, comes to the farmer's market, he sells eggs all day, and then at some point, at the end of the day, he runs out of eggs, even though there's more people who come to buy eggs, and finally has to say, I've just got no more eggs to sell. I can't make more, right? And for me, for us, we're human, we're finite. We've got no more eggs to sell. But what that also brings up is that there might be a time where that same farmer didn't sell all of his eggs and the farmer's market just comes to a close. There is going to be times in our lives where the wor- there is still work to be done and it's just time to stop. I am finite, but God is infinite. And when I stop, the world still turns. It's an act of trust. God is sovereign. He's on the throne. Right? Once we stop, though, Sabbath calls us to rest. To rest. Rest from what? Rest from our work. Right? Rest is going to look different for every single one of us in the room. Most days at the Howard household, we have what's called ATP, which is called alone playtime. And rest for all four of us in the family looks a little different. My seven-year-old Isaac wants to play with logo, uh, Legos or play Minecraft or something. For Keely, it's reading a book. For Emily, it's just laying down. For me, it might be going for a walk or a short little bike ride or something. For all of you, it's going to look different as well. What does rest look like? Because we're all in different ages, in different stages. Some of us young, some of us older, some of us working, some of us retired. It's all going to look different. I came up with a few suggestions. Read a novel. Watch a, a good movie. Take a nap. Work out. Don't work out. (laughs) Go for a walk. Go to dinner. Sleep in. Wake up. If you're home all week, get out of the house. If you're out all week, stay in. Whatever's restful, whatever's going to rejuvenate you, do it. All right? We rest from our work. But also we rest from the mental strain that comes from work. I can leave the office physically, but that office is still up here in my brain. Right? I mean, don't take this as gospel, but some like rabbis say that it's a sin to have hard conversations on the Sabbath, right? It's a sin. I leave those for the other six days. Rest from the mental strain. But also we rest 
from consumption. I reached out on social media, which is ironic because I'm going to talk about social media here in a minute. But I reached out on social media, and what does your rest look like? And one of my friends named Joe, who's a pastor, said that he, at the start of Sabbath, he takes out his phone, ceremonially turns it off, and his family celebrates by saying, Sabbath! And then they rest, right? I have yet to be on my phone Scroll, doom scrolling through social media or looking at the news and then think, I am so rested right now. <laughs> not once, not once, right? I rest from consumption, right? We also make it a practice in my household to, to not buy anything. I am not a slave as a consumer. I can spend the, the rest of my days hanging out on Amazon, I could take one day and not buy, right? It's an exercising contentment in my life, which brings me to the third of Schizero's practices in Sabbath. It revolves around delighting in what we've been given, delighting in what we've been given. On Sabbath, we're called to enjoy and delight in the creation and its gifts in our lives. One of the prayers that I say every single morning blesses the Lord for our creation, our preservation, and all the blessings of this life. Sabbath provides extra time for us to do that, right? I don't typically take a bike ride on my Sabbath, which happens to be Friday because technically today's a, a, a work day for me. Today is a perfectly great day for many of you to Sabbath because you get to worship today, you get to be with God's people, you get to go home, rest, do all those things. For me, I choose to do it on Friday. I don't typically ride my bike on Friday because I associate riding my bike with doing intervals. I have, you know, podcast or music on and I'm just like out there to smash it. But on this last Friday, I just went out for a little spin. I took the headphones out, I pedaled soft, and I just smelled the roses. And there it was. God, you're here. In the smell of a eucalyptus tree, in the smile of another person's face, with just the, the, the snow-peaked mountains out in the distance, the cool air in my face, it was just a time for me to stop in delight in God's creation. And that time to spend delighting it is available for us as well. Uh, this is specific to us, but Southern California just affords us specifically here at Grace just so much beauty and creation that we can delight in. We're to stop, we're to rest, we're to delight, but we're also to contemplate or to worship. For many of us, like I said, this is the perfect way to do that, to start our, our Sabbath with worship and contemplation together, giving extra time toward that. There's going to be a lot of questions, by the way, about this Sabbath practice as a spiritual discipline that might come up for you. And I'm going to, to leave a lot of these questions unanswered, but I would commend the ebook that I've given you in your uh, outline uh, to you by Pete Scazzaro. We really like him around here. I would commend it to you. If you can't access it with your phone, um, it, with the QR code, I want you to email me this week, chris at gracehillbeach.org. Again, chris, C-H-R-I-S, at gracehillbeach.org. And if you don't have a computer, I've printed out a couple copies that Pastor Tim would love to get, give you if you don't have access to a computer, Okay. So I'd love you to have that in the, in the FAQ because there's going to arise all kinds of questions like, what day should I do my Sabbath? Am I, can I rest from parenting the children? Like what? 
Anyway, that, that's, that's available to you. Okay, well, let's, I'm running out of time. So th- uh, thirdly, third statement, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Some theologians say that keeping the Sabbath is one of the hardest commands to keep. It does feel in some part true, at least in my life. God, sure, tell me what to do with my treasure. Sure, tell me what to do with my talent. Don't tell me what to do with my time. That's mine. It's my time, right? Hear me. God is not asking you to do more. He's asking you to do less. He's asking you to do less. Sabbath is a gift given to us by God. It's a gift. But it wasn't just a gift to simply be an end in itself, right? You could Sabbath 52 weeks a year to the hilt. Like, I am not working. I'm not thinking about work. I'm doing Sabbath awesome, right? But it's to point us to something different, just like that, like standing next to my dad, carving that, that roast beef and having a little taste for what's to come. Abraham Heschel, who's a Hasidic rabbi, says that Sabbath is a window into eternity. And that window into eternity that we get, that Sabbath points to Christ himself. That's the window. We get to see Christ. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, which means that if you want to experience ultimate rest, you'll experience it by knowing him. And you can rest knowing that all of your work, all of your hard religious labor that you have tried throughout your life, in all the ways that you have sought to fulfill the law in religious observance and obedience, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and his name is Jesus. His name's Jesus. Jesus said, we've been saying it all morning. He said in Matthew 11, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest for, this, for your souls. So family, if you're weary and burdened by the 24-7 nonstop hustle culture that you're living in, Jesus says, I want to give you rest for your soul. If you're weary and burdened by reducing your faith to a bunch of rules and regulations, Jesus says, I want to give you rest for your soul. If you're weary and burdened from fighting sin, if you're worry in, weary and burdened from fighting sickness in your life, if you're weary and burdened from all the injustice that you see, Jesus said, I'm here to give you rest for your soul. If you are weary and burdened because you feel more like a robot than a human, Jesus says, I'm here to give you rest for your soul. So with that, why don't we pray? Jesus, so many of us are weary, and I pray that we would find our rest in you. Many of us are exhausted with heavy obligations during the day, and we acknowledge that. Many of us even stay up at night thinking about all of those, and we need rest, and it only can come from you. 
We're tired of, of, of battling old temptation sins. We're tired of the defeats. We're tired from despairing over them. We pray that we'd find our rest ultimately in you. Thank you for the gracious gift that you offer us in Sabbath. Because participating in it, we're, we're, we're declaring that you're the center and the source of our lives. The beginning, the middle, the end of our existence. But more than a day, we need Jesus who welcomed all who were weary and burdened, inviting us to cast our cares upon him for his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and our hearts, Lord, are restless until they find their rest in you. Amen.